Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and it has been a interesting 24 hours for the host of this show. <laughs> uh, all kinds of stuff going on since I got back in town, and uh, I have decided to do a show that I am calling The Tridemic. Tamiflu, and the truth, and that's what this show is all about. We're going to talk about what the Tridemic is. Uh, If you haven't heard of it, you're not watching the news, and if you're not watching the news, you're a very, very wise individual, and I commend you for that. Unfortunately, I have to keep abreast of the news so that I can do this show, and so here we are. If you don't know what Tamiflu is, that means you've never been prescribed it or taken it or you forgot about it. Uh, Maybe it happened years ago, but we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about RSV. We're going to talk about COVID, and we're going to talk about the flu, which, of course, are the trifecta that make up the tridemic. That's all ahead on Vitality Radio today. If you're looking for answers in the natural realm of things, if you're looking for things you can do for you and your children to beef up your immune systems so that you don't need to rely on pharmaceuticals, then you have found the right place. That's what we'll discuss at the end of the show. At the beginning, we'll talk about the propaganda. We'll talk about the half-truths. We'll talk about the all the stuff that goes into making news to make you scared. That's what today's show is all about. If you have questions about anything you hear on today's show, call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662, Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. If you're not near Bountiful, that's okay. We can help you over the phone with anything you need, or we can help you on our website with almost anything you need. We can't sell CBD there. We can't sell NAC there uh, because of ridiculous restrictions that uh, our uh, credit card company associated with the website won't allow So if you want those items, which we are happy to sell you, which are legal in all 50 states and which are extremely helpful for a lot of this stuff, especially NAC for respiratory things, then you have to call us. But we're happy to take care of you over the phone at 801-292-6662. You can also open up the chat feature on our website and either my son Bridger or I will get right back to you and answer the questions that you may have. Okay, let's talk about this tridemic thing. If you haven't heard of it, well, um, yeah, let's see what Judy Woodruff from PBS said about it. A so-called tridemic is threatening to overwhelm healthcare systems across the country. It's essentially a triple threat for the combined spread of flu, RSV, and COVID, and it's already having a major impact, she says. More than three-quarters of pediatric hospital beds nationwide are at capacity, And some states are reporting that more than 90% of pediatric beds are occupied. Seniors are also being hospitalized at a higher rate for respiratory illness. And hospitalizations from the flu are at a decade-level high. She then goes on to interview an expert about all this. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about what the experts are saying about the tridemic starting with the flu. 2022 and 2023 preliminary flu estimates. The CDC estimates that flu is at a 10-year high this year, which is odd since we barely had the flu last year. It almost all disappeared. Or was it 
re-diagnosed or misdiagnosed as COVID? Well, that seems more likely to me. But regardless, the flu is back with a vengeance. Or is it? Because the CDC also says this. Although the numbers are especially high for this time of year, experts say that the trends are otherwise following an expected pattern and the early arrival of flu season doesn't necessarily mean it will last longer or be any more severe. The picture is pretty consistent across our different pieces of surveillance, they say. There's nothing there that makes me think that the virus is really different or causing more Severe disease than we see typically with flu, said Lynette Brammer, an epidemiologist who leads the CDC's domestic influenza surveillance team. But of course, the flu can't make up a tridemic of its own, right? It takes three to tango. In this case, COVID is leg two of the tridemic. So I don't want to minimize the risk or sound like I'm saying that this is all no big deal. Rather, then doing that, I'll just share my opinions on risk later in the show. But for now, let's just share the assessment that has been published in the National Institutes of Health's own PubMed online. People over 65 years old, this is what has been discovered as they've looked at all the numbers across all the countries, across all the age groups, According to this study, absolute COVID-19 mortality rate expressed an equivalent of mortality from driving a motor vehicle 4 to 82 miles a day. So people under 65 years old, the absolute mortality rate is the same as people who drive 4 to 82 miles a day. That would include almost everybody and so the risk of death from COVID appears to be roughly the same as the risk of death from driving. So that's leg number two. Leg number one, of course, was the flu. What about RSV? Well, RSV is leg three. And lately, if you've been watching the news, RSV is in the news more than COVID. Here's what experts are saying about the surge in RSV. The measures that helped keep us safe from COVID-19 over the past two and a half years, lockdowns, physical distancing, wearing masks, washing hands, and all and other you know, measures, plexiglass at your supermarket, you know, those kind of things. The common sense measures that were pushed by really wise and thoughtful leaders, they also helped to limit the spread of other viruses. As people return to school and work and take off their masks, these viruses, including respiratory syncytial virus and flu, otherwise known as RSV, are back in full force. That immunity gap from the last few years is probably behind the unprecedented early surge in RSV infections this year, scientists say, and it has thrown other seasonal respiratory viruses out of whack around the world. As long as we've had a record of RSV and other respiratory diseases in the United States, there have never, or sorry, there have been these regular patterns of outbreaks. RSV pops up every year in the late autumn and wintertime and has these out and has these outbreaks mostly in young kids. Then it disappears again for the spring and summer months and pops up again the following winter. It's very regular and predictable, they say, until it isn't. Cases of RSV in the United States started showing up in the spring and are now 60% higher than 2021's peak, year, peak week, a CNN analysis shows. And that's probably an undercount, they say. 
Okay, now that's what all the news is saying. Now I'm going to tell you where I'm interjecting, which is right now. Let me say that the immunity gap, whatever that even means, isn't what you might think it means. It's certainly not what they want you to think it means. Those measures we took did not protect us from anything but natural immunity. And those are likely the measures that are why we have this sudden outbreak that's 60% higher than last year. Those experimental jabs, hiding from germs, wiping everything down every five seconds, not hugging or kissing or shaking hands, working remotely, closing schools, all of that likely fed this. Oh, and for the record, back to the experimental jabs, according to the Moderna, Moderna trials on said jabs on page 126, Two point or sorry, two to five year olds had four times the amount of RSV in the vax group compared to the unvaxed group. Four times as much RSV. Interesting. Six to eleven year olds within 28 days after vaccination, some respiratory tract infection related PTs were reported more frequently in the vaccine group, up 0.3% versus zero percent. And upper respiratory, that was RSV, and upper respiratory tract infection was up 3.9% versus just 2.5%. So there you have it. Maybe those, those measures that they talk about, those ones that quote-unquote protected us from COVID, are the actual cause of this surge of RSV and flu. Maybe. Certainly the clinical trials showed that that's exactly what happened. And then when they roll it out to millions of people, you would anticipate that what happened in the clinical trials would also happen in real life. At least that's the idea. So as I said, here we are. Maybe you were vaxxed and maybe you weren't. And regardless, it's time to take charge of your own immune system because clearly FDA, CDC, and pharma are not capable of doing it for you. So what is the actual risk of death from RSV? I think this is important because, again, I don't want to minimize this. This is a really, really challenging thing when all we hear about is the rates of infection and then we hear about people dying from infection. But what is the actual risk? I think it's important for us to understand that because risk assessment is everything. We just talked about how COVID risk ended up being about the same as the risk of driving your car. And yet, for all these years, we've never taken measures to protect ourselves from driving cars, such as not driving them anymore. Yes, we've added seat belts and airbags and traffic speed limits and things like that to try to make it as safe as possible to drive. Heck, I was renting a car in Orlando and it has these sensors that push you back in the lane if you start to veer off at all. And that's startling if you've never driven a car with those things. So yes, there are measures that have taken place. But interestingly enough, those measures didn't then create other death from other reasons, such as the, as the measures did during COVID. So what are the risks of RSV in reality? Well, RSV in children under five, there's about 100 to 300 deaths per year total in America, 100 to 300 deaths. That includes unhealthy and immunocompromised children, not all children. So I, there's no, nothing I could find that indicated how, what percentage of healthy children died 
uh, from RSV, but it's very, 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 very small. Uh, in adults over 65, about 14,000 deaths per year. So actually a lot more deaths in older people than in younger people and virtually none between those age groups of 5 and 65. Now, those aren't staggering numbers, but they aren't zero either. So if we go back to the automobile thing, 37,000 annually die in car crashes in America. 37,000. That compares to about 14,000 from RSV. So RSV appears to be a half-ish or 40% as dangerous as driving your car where COVID was as dangerous as driving your car. So here's my take on the tridemic. Take it or leave it. Fear is the reason we have a word, tridemic. Do you remember flu-rona? I did a show on that a year or so ago, last flu season, about this time of year. Flu-rona was going to scare the crap out of everybody, and everybody was going to get a flu shot and COVID. And then what happened? We didn't have the flu last year. It wasn't because the flu shot was 100% effective. It was because, well, who knows why. Whatever, However they report the numbers, the flu just disappeared. And so... There you have it. I don't understand that. Nobody really does other than the people who are putting all the numbers in. And uh, yeah, we didn't have a flu last year. Now it's back. RSV is back and RSV is back in a big way, up 60%. And they say that might be a low estimate. Well, why would there be this tridemic thing all over the news? Why would RSV be all over the news? Why would PBS be doing a story saying that 90% of hospital beds, pediatric beds in some communities are full, 75% across the country? Why would we have all of that? Well, I believe, and this is my belief, it has nothing to do with anything but my personal take on this topic, is that it's all about one big four-letter word, Fear. Fear is what will allow Pfizer to get their new RSV vaccine approved. Yes, there's an RSV vaccine coming very, very soon to a drugstore near you, and you'll start seeing the signs posted. And you remember when vaccines used to be for things like polio? You remember that? And now it's for things like, you know, RSV. Well, it is what it is because vaccines are big money for pharma. They're really big money for pharma because they're the only drugs that they can sell that they have no liability on. Zero. Zero. The government assumes all liability for vaccines. That's if you can prove that they hurt you. Um, That's if you can really, really, really prove that they hurt you, not just mostly prove that they hurt you. And, of course, the VAERS system, uh, which is where you report those injuries, uh, has paid out $4 billion in uh, injury compensation or death compensation over the last you know 30 years or so. But here's the thing that's important to understand, and I think it's really, really important to understand, and that is that without fear, people will take a lot less pharmaceuticals. Now, Pfizer's the one working on this RSV vaccine. And this is the same company that made billions of dollars off of these experimental jabs that we just all uh, either hid from and stayed away from or decided to take for whatever reason we decided to take them. Same company that leads 
a group of big pharma companies that pay about 60% of the FDA's budget and the same company that pays about 70% of CNN's advertising budget, along with MSNBC and all the other news organizations. Yeah, that Pfizer. Fear gets people to give their kids drugs like Tamiflu. Listen here, I have had six kids. I still have six kids, but none of them are little anymore. My youngest is 10. And there's nothing more scary than a sick, a very sick child to a parent. I get it. I've been there with every single kid. I've had them very, very sick and been very concerned. And even when you've got someone like yours truly who is well-versed in natural medicine and pretty much knows how to take care of most of these things without pharmaceuticals, it's still scary because you're still responsible for the health of that child and making the best decisions for that child. So we have this extra measure of fear, though, not just the fear of a loving parent looking over their sick child, but the fear that is pushed upon us day after day after day by the media and social media and everybody else. We don't need that extra fear. Why? Because as humans, we act differently when we're under stress and we act irrationally when we are scared. So many parents will take the suggestion of Tamiflu when their kid gets RSV or the flu this year, but they won't read the headlines that have to be specifically searched for. They'll just see how scary RSV and the flu are, and they'll read those articles about the tridemic, and they'll make decisions based on fear in many cases. I hope that my show is empowering enough that it takes fear out of the equation for the most part. I hope that that's the case. It's one of the reasons I do this show. So here's an article from Everyday Health. This wasn't on CNN. I had to dig around for this article. But it talks about Tamiflu. The, the worst flu season in years continues to hit hard across the country. This was from 2018. And, and I want to bring this up just really quickly. Right now, we have the worst flu season in the last decade, it says. Well, in 2018, the headline was, the worst flu season in years continues to hit hard across the country. It's weird. Up until last year when we didn't have flu, every year seems to be the worst flu season by some measure. And that measure is always based on some way to get clicks and to get advertising dollars and to create fear porn for humankind. Then they go on to say, while there's no cure for the flu, antivirals are often prescribed to treat influenza infections. Recent reports suggest that the drug Tamiflu may pose especially serious health risks to children, causing confusion and hallucinations. The CDC recommends that antivirals be given as early as possible to patients once flu-like symptoms develop. Tamiflu has the best effect when it's taken within 20 or sorry, 48 hours of the onset of flu symptoms. Though some studies indicate benefits beyond 48 hours. Most people get the flu who get the flu don't require treatment with antiviral drugs. And they may not be prescribed to people with mild illness who are otherwise healthy. When it is prescribed, Tamiflu can lessen and shorten the effects of the flu, it can reduce the duration of symptoms by half or even a full day, according to William Schaffner, one of the biggest shills for pharma I've ever read. 
I've talked about him before. Antiviral treatment in, is recommended for anyone already hospitalized with the flu. It's also prescribed for people in out, outpatient treatment who are more likely to develop severe complications, such as adults 65 and older. Young children, people with heart disease, lung disease, or diabetes, immunocompromised patients, and pregnant women, Schaffner says. The CDC recommends Tamiflu for treating the flu in pregnant women because changes in the immune, respiratory, and cardiovascular systems that occur during pregnancy raise the risk for flu-related complications. Sorry. Tamiflu is designated as a pregnancy category C drug, which means that it hasn't been studied in pregnant women, but the CDC says the drug's benefits are more likely than possible risks of harm to a pregnant woman or her baby. At least that's their best guess. Okay, so if fear is a big part of all this push, how about confusion for the second big component? Can you make out what, from what I just read, if anyone should or should not take Tamiflu? On the one hand, you should take it within 48 hours of onset, but you shouldn't take it unless you have severe symptoms. But don't those symptoms take a couple of days to kind of manifest in most people? And then isn't Tamiflu too late? Well, maybe. Schaffner says there's some evidence that it's not too late after 48 hours. Also, pregnant women, not studied, but probably better not better than not taking it. Seriously? What does that even mean? It's our best guess that Tamiflu is safe, just like it was their best guess that the recent batch of new experimental use vaccines. Oh, and my favorite part is this one. While there is no cure for the flu, they say, Tamiflu can reduce the duration of symptoms by half or maybe even a full day. Half a day of less symptoms? Well, sign me up. Oh, wait, maybe don't sign me up. Because then it goes on to say this. Like adults, children taking Tamiflu may experience nausea and vomiting. However, reports from Japan provide provided evidence of neuropsychiatric symptoms such as hallucinations, hyperactivity, and seizures in children and adolescents taking the drug. Reports have surfaced recently in the United States about similar side effects in children taking Tamiflu. In January, a North Texas family said their six-year-old daughter suffered hallucinations and tried to jump from her bedroom window after taking the drug. More recently, the Indiana parents of a 16-year-old who committed suicide believe the medication was to blame. The prescribing information for Tamiflu includes the following warning. Patients with influenza, including those receiving Tamiflu, particularly pediatric patients, may be at an increased risk of confusion or abnormal behavior early in their illness. Well, that sounds great. All of that, all of those risks, all of those risks for half to one day less symptoms? I know how to get one less day of flu symptoms. In fact, I know that elderberry syrup can reduce flu duration by about 50%, about three days, three and a half, technically. We have multiple studies that show that, but elderberry is cheap, not patented, can be made at home, and is incredibly safe. So where's the margin in that? Maybe that's why CNN doesn't talk about elderberry syrup. Maybe that's why Dr. Fauci never did either. Also, what does this mean, no cure? What is a cure? Well, you are cured if you get the flu or RSV 
or COVID, and then you fully recover, which almost everyone always does. So there is sure a cure, right? There is a cure. That cure is time and rest. So whenever they say there's no cure for these things, they never say there's no cure unless they're trying to promote a drug. Have you noticed that? I've certainly noticed that. But the cure for infectious disease is always time and rest. Time and rest cure the flu almost every single time. They cure RSV almost every single time. They cure COVID almost every single time. They cure the measles almost every single time. And chicken pox almost every single time. Without drugs or even without natural things that I might recommend. We seem to forget that our bodies are meant to get sick. We get sick by design. It is time to recognize this time-tested and scientifically validated fact. We get sick so we can get healthier and stronger, especially our children. But it's true with adults as well. It has always been this way. Our mad dash for cash from pharma and comfort from fear of illness for us has led us to a point where we run and hide from illness and behave as if a cold or a flu is cancer or heart disease. This madness has to stop. Stop the Clorox wipes. Stop the vaccine for every illness campaign. Stop the there is no cure nonsense. That all being said, we can build our resistance to these things to lose less time at work, to feel better, and to recover faster when we do get sick, and to prevent really severe illness. But prevention never comes in the form of a drug. It really doesn't. That's not how we were designed. I have to think that the good Lord is looking down on us right now and saying, my goodness, these people I created are insane. I gave them brilliant bodies and gave them all they need to nourish those bodies. And what they are doing with them is beyond absurd. Now, I don't know if that's what God's actually saying, but if I were him, and I'm certainly not, I think that might be what I'm saying because that's what I'm saying now. What do we actually need to be healthy? Do we need pharmaceutical interventions to prevent illness? Or do we just need to take care of our bodies? We need nutrition. We need to have a clean vessel. That's not the same as an antibacterially bacterially wiped body. It is a body without a massive toxic load inside of it. So let's talk about how to accomplish a naturally defended body without the need for fear or for pharma. Vitamin D. There are flu studies on vitamin D, and I want to mention that these studies were done on vitamin D, not on vitamin K2, but as I said in my episode on vitamin D3 and K2, they do need to be used in tandem and optimally with magnesium. But this is all based on vitamin D levels in the human body. April 2nd, 2020, that's an important date because that is at the very tip the very tip 
of the spear of COVID back in April of 2020. The article says, the abstract from the article and the study says, the world is in the grip of COVID-19. Public health measures can reduce the risk of infection and death in addition to quarantines. And all of that is desperately needed, they say. This article reviews the roles of vitamin D in reducing the risk of respiratory tract infections. And I might add just really quickly, my words, not the study's words, that in April, quarantining not being able to go to the beach in California without being arrested, not being able to sunbathe in a public park or on the beach, not being able to get vitamin D from the sun because we're told to hide in our basements. They say that those quarantines were desperately needed, and then they tell us, and then they tell us that vitamin D actually reduces the risk of respiratory tract infections. Knowledge about the epidemiology of influenza and COVID-19 and how vitamin D supplementation might be useful uh, is necessary. Through several mechanisms, they say, vitamin D can reduce risk of infections. Those mechanisms include inducing multiple different defense mechanisms that lower viral replication rates and reduce concentrations of pro-inflammatory cytokines that produce the inflammation that injures the lining of the lungs, leading to pneumonia, as well as increasing concentrations of anti-inflammatory cytokines. Several observational studies and clinical trials reported that vitamin D supplementation reduced the risk of influenza, whereas others did not show that. Evidence supporting the role of vitamin D in reducing risk of vitamin or of COVID-19, though, include the outbreak uh, include that the outbreak occurred in winter, a time where vitamin D is often low, and slowed down in summer when vitamin D is typically higher. And this is what they found, and I think this is really, really important. To reduce the risk of infection, it is recommended that people at risk of influenza or COVID-19 consider taking 10,000 units a day for a few weeks to rapidly raise vitamin D concentrations. For treatment of people who become infected with COVID-19, higher vitamin D3 doses might be useful. Randomized controlled trials and large population studies should be conducted to evaluate these recommendations. So based on what they came up with, they thought vitamin D might work back in April. But you never heard Dr. Fallacy talking about that, did you? But how about once we really came to grips with what's going on and we're in the grips of COVID-19, October of 20. 21, just over a year ago. The aim of this study was to collect further evidence on this topic of vitamin D. Systematic literature search was performed to identify retrospective cohort as well as clinical studies on COVID-19 mortality rates versus D3 blood levels. This is huge. Mortality rates from clinical studies were corrected for age, sex, and diabetes. Data were analyzed using correlation and linear regression. Results were these. One population study and seven clinical studies were identified, which reported vitamin D blood levels pre-infection, okay, before infection occurred, on the day of hospital or on the day of hospital admission. The two independent data sets showed a negative correlation of D3 levels and mortality risk. So what does that mean? These studies suggested a theoretical point of zero mortality at approximately 50 nanograms per milliliter of vitamin D3, which is low normal. 
It's about mid-normal, but it's actually on the low end of mid-normal. Conclusions. The data sets provide strong evidence that low vitamin D is a predictor rather than just a side effect of infection. Despite ongoing vaccinations, they say, we recommend raising serum levels to at least 50 nanograms per milliliter to prevent or mitigate new outbreaks due to escape mutations or decreased antibody effect. I don't want to breeze over this too quickly. These studies suggest a theoretical point of zero death at approximately 50 nanograms per milliliter. And we know that people were at least 14 times more likely to die with below 50 than above 50 from COVID-19. But again, how often did we hear Dr. Fallacy mention vitamin D? Well, he mentioned it once that I heard when somebody asked him, do you take vitamins? And he said, yeah, I take vitamin D and Z, C and zinc is what he said. But then he said, but you must get vaccinated. Now, I did a show recommending that nobody take this experimental shot back in December of 2021, and I was hammered for doing that show. I got hate mail, letters saying I was complicit in the death of thousands in Utah. That was almost a year ago to this day that I did that show. It was called The Truth About the Safety and Effectiveness of the New CVAX. I spent a lot of time talking about what we didn't know about these shots. I said in that episode, hell no, I won't take those things. I felt completely confident that I knew how to fight this thing off if I got it, which I eventually did get it a few months later. And shockingly, I'm still alive, much to Dr. Fallacy's surprise and disappointment, I'm sure. But now we know a lot about these things, and this show isn't about these shots. It is about how we can avoid the fear and feelings of helplessness during this so-called tridemic and any future outbreaks that get thrown at us. What we know now that we didn't know then. We know that the vaccines don't actually work. The Washington Post actually posted this just last week, actually about two weeks ago. COVID is no longer mainly a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh public service announcement from your host, Jared St. Clair. It never was a pandemic of the unvaccinated. 58% of deaths are in people who have had at least two of these vaccines, and many of those have also had boosters. 58%. We know that they are dangerous, way more than I ever wanted to believe that they might be. All you have to do is listen to my other podcast, Dearly Discarded, or look at the VAERS data at openvares.org to see the dangers. We know that someone, um, or sorry, that something known as SADS, sudden adult death syndrome, is sweeping across the world and that young, healthy people are dying of heart attacks and that the term died suddenly is popping up in headlines all over the world. These are common terms, SADS and died suddenly, that we almost never heard prior to these shots. But with Fauci's last words from a public pulpit just two weeks ago, he still urged everyone to get these filthy experimental jabs. I'm sure it is due to his age and forgetfulness that he neglected to mention taking vitamin D, which we know without any doubt is more effective at preserving life than any vaccine ever has been. What else can we do if we want to choose the natural route? Once we get our vitamin D levels up, what else can we do? Well, According to an article that was published by, or, or sorry, in PubMed on the NIH, NIH um, website in 2009, a study in humans of a spore-forming probiotic called Bacillus coagulans 
was shown to increase immune response to influenza A by 17 times, 17 times higher immune response against influenza A after just 30 days of use. Now, it was a small study, but it was a very good study in terms of how it was conducted, and it was 100% the same in all of the people in the study. Bacillus coagulans is my favorite strain of probiotic. It's in my back-on-track formula. It's in my precision probiotic formula because I fell in love with it about 12 years ago for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is this incredible ability to enhance immune function in a short period of time. So there's some really interesting information for you. I've spent 36 minutes ranting and raving and being pretty annoyed, sarcastic, irritated. Yesterday was an amazing day for the most part. And then a couple things happened that set me off a little bit, got me thinking. And then I decided to prepare this show. (laughs) And I guess I just wasn't in the mood for the propaganda. And I hope you're not either. I hope that you choose to refuse the fear mongering, that you choose to refuse the propaganda and the general BS that comes out of just about every newscaster's mouth. I hope you choose to recognize that we, as human beings, were designed to get sick, to get better, and come out on the other side stronger. But if you do get sick, What else can you do? Vitamin D, we talked about. Probiotics, I think those are probably the two best things that you can do preventatively. And remember, if you're going to take vitamin D as a supplement, you want to take vitamin K2 and magnesium along with it. If you have more questions about that, the episode on vitamin D, K2, and magnesium, that trifecta, which is actually a really good one, uh, will be in the show description. You can also take vitamin C every day. There's tons and tons and tons of evidence that vitamin C is incredibly preventative of these things and one of the best things that you can do to get over them more quickly. I prefer non-acidic ascorbates, which are found in Vital C, my formula, and Inner C, the much, 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 much better version of uh emergency that you might see on the shelves over at Costco. Those ones work really well. Also a huge fan of olive leaf extract and oregano oil, zinc with copper and quercetin because quercetin drives the zinc into the cell. Um, NAC, which caught all kinds of heat because it actually worked for lung issues with COVID. Uh, Clear Lungs, a Chinese herbal formula. It's amazing if you find you're experiencing a bunch of lung congestion. I already talked about elderberry, raw honey, and garlic. Colloidal silver. I love colloidal silver. And you will hear it and see it demonized online like crazy. Way more than you'll hear the vaccine demonized. Way more than you'll hear things like Tamiflu demonized. But you know what has never happened with colloidal silver? Nobody's ever taken it when they had the flu and jumped out of a window. That's never happened. Something called oscillo or oscillococcinum. We'll list that in the show description because it's impossible to spell. But uh, it is a first line of defense homeopathic that is one of the most magical things I've ever seen. If you start to get the symptoms, you start using that stuff. It is truly amazing. Truly amazing. 
And of course, sleep. Sleep is huge. Sleep is massive. Sleep is paramount because it is how our body rests and it is how our body recovers. It's not different than coming home from the gym, getting in the shower and jumping in bed and getting a really good night's sleep makes your muscles recover better. Well, getting a good night's sleep or as much rest as you need for every hour of the day that you can sleep is the best way and probably the true cure for all of these things. Also, don't forget that knocking down your fever, which is your body's true defense against these things, is usually not a wise decision. And that's not just my opinion. There's plenty of doctors even coming out and saying that now. Fevers don't get dangerous until they're well above 104. They're no fun, but they are our body's way of healing. So with all of that, I just want to say this. As I said earlier in the show, empowerment is a big part of the reason I do this show. Education is how we become empowered. And I hope that what I provide on Vitality Radio is educational and empowering. I want to use that word a little longer and or a little more often in this show than I ever have in the past probably because I had somebody that sent me a message on Instagram. I think I read it yesterday or the day before. And she said, through your show, I've become empowered to take care of my health. And I appreciate that so, so very much. That was what she said. And I appreciate that so very, very much. That's what I said. Because that is why I do this show. Now, yes, I own a health food store. And yes, I sell all of those supplements that I just mentioned. And I own a website. And I sell all of those supplements that I just mentioned. Although I can't put an AC on the website, as I mentioned before. You got to call us for that. So I have my bias. I believe in the natural things. I use the natural things. I give the natural things to my children. And I choose not to fear infection or illness. In fact, we basically embrace it. My kids get sick. I say, let's get some rest. Let's get some rest. Let's get some vitamins. Let's get some colloidal silver. Let's try and knock it out a little quicker than it normally would leave on its own. But let's not be scared because 99 point something, something, something percent of the time, it just ain't that scary. The scariest of all of these things, these tridemic things, apparently is COVID-19. And it's the same fear level in terms of death as driving your car. That's the truth. That's the truth. Fear leads us to do things that we would otherwise think better of. It leads us to ignore our instinct, our own ability, our innate ability, what I believe is our God-given inner voice to make logical decisions for ourselves and for our children. So the next time the fear-mongering comes along, whether it's a tridemic or whatever the next thing is they're going to throw at us, because they'll throw more stuff at us. They will continue to throw this stuff right in your face. Put your hand up and say, stop. I'm not taking that anymore. I know how to take care of myself. And I will do so without fear. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. 
You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. The FDA has not evaluated this podcast. This podcast is provided with the understanding that information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for care by a medical professional. Thank you.